else loves fire? I love fire. I think it's the inner caveman. I think that's probably why. Um, yeah, fire does all sorts of things, doesn't it? Lit in the wrong place, it can be destructive. We know that. Forest fires, house fires, things like that. Um, but fire is incredibly useful. You can cook on it. It keeps you warm. You can purify. You can sterilize things in fire. One of the things that I most love about fire is that it is attractive. You know, if a house sets fire, you do not let, need to let people know. They will go and have a look. If you light a bonfire, you know, bonfire night is coming up. People gather around fire. Fire is attractive. So why would we talk about fire at church? Well, fire in the Bible is a symbol that is used actually about God himself. So in Hebrews, it talks about our God is a consuming fire. If you're familiar with some stories in the Old Testament, God reveals himself to Moses when this shrub just catches fire. Um, and then God leads the people of Israel with a pillar of fire. Into the New Testament, Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, the church is birthed in part with fire. There were tongues of fire that settled on the heads of the disciples. Tongues of fire. Christians are born to burn. A little phrase for you. Born to burn. The bishop's mitre. I sometimes wish we had these in the vineyard, but we don't. What shape is it? It's a flame. And that's intentional. It's about fire. Now, you might, if you've been around church any length of time, heard a phrase that Christians sometimes use, and they say something like this, such and so is on fire for the Lord. Have you heard that one? And, and what they mean is normally that someone has gone off to a Christian conference or a festival or some kind of event, and they've, they've kind of caught some zeal and some passion, and they've come, they've come back just kind of, enthused and set on fire in their faith. The Bible does talk of that kind of language for Christians about being on fire. So Romans chapter 12, Paul says, be ablaze by the Spirit. That language of fire. And then in Luke chapter 24, I didn't know Rob was going to share um, this story earlier, but I'll tell it again in case you... I, I love the way we talked about communion this morning. I loved it. So it's this story of two followers of Jesus in, in the kind of the days following Jesus' death on the cross, and, and their world has just fallen apart. And they're, they're taking a walk from Jerusalem to Emmaus, and as they're walking along, the resurrected Jesus comes and walks with them, and they, and they don't recognize him. And, and Jesus unpacks the scriptures to them. That must have just been awesome. And it, they then get to the end of their journey, and Jesus acts as if to go on, and they say, hey, come and have some dinner. And so they sit and have dinner, and as Jesus breaks bread, their eyes are open. And then, there's, and then Jesus just let, leaves. And then they say this, were not their hearts burning within us? The language of fire. The language of fire. You see, I believe the intended state for a Christian is to be on fire. If you said yes to Jesus, you have been born to burn. You might not feel that way, and we'll come on to that, but that uh, is the intended state. 
that you've been in the presence of Jesus, the one that causes our hearts to catch fire. Jesus wants us to be on fire for him and his kingdom. And what I mean by that is there'd be a passion in our lives, uh, our life, an infectiousness, something incendiary, something fire-starting about our lives. Jesus wants us to be burnt out for him, not burnt up. Sorry, burnt up for him, not burnt out. You get what I mean? Don't get frazzled. Get set on fire. Get set on fire. So, you might have heard of a, a, a preacher, an evangelist, a, a founder of Methodism, a guy called John Wesley. He said this, Light yourself on fire with passion, and people will come from miles to watch you burn. Fire is attractive. You see, if you're a follower of Jesus, that fire in you is something that will make a difference. And if you're here this morning and you've not yet said yes to Jesus, you are so welcome here. And I hope that as we share some thoughts this morning, they, they help you to see some of the amazing, adventurous life that Jesus is inviting you into. So, we're starting a new series this morning, which we've entitled Fire Starters. We're going to explore how fire starts in our life and how it can be sustained and grow in our lives, and how that can be the foundation for us starting fires in the lives of other people. This, I think, is a really important series for us as a church as we head into some more of the adventure that God has for us. So I would love to pray for us. Um, so I don't know what you, I'm going to put a hand on my heart. If you want to do that for yourself, that's fine. So as I pray, pray for yourself. So Jesus, I want to pray that you would set our hearts on fire again today that we would be ablaze by your Holy Spirit. That as we find ourselves in your presence, there will be something burning within us. So Lord, if, our, if like the fire in our hearts has gone out, I pray that you would spark it up again. And if it's burning brightly, I pray that you would pour oil on it. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a Bible, could you turn to Matthew chapter 6? You might have a paper one or a device. The words will come up on the screen in a moment. This is part of Jesus' longest recorded talk that you'll find in the Gospels. You'll find it from Matthew chapter 5 through to Matthew chapter 7. Um, it's often called the Sermon on the Mount. It might have been one talk or a collection of talks. It's, it's a long talk that is recorded here. Now, don't worry. My talk is not going to be as long as Jesus' talk. We all need to get to lunch, and I'm hoping that my talk is good, but it's unlikely to be as good as Jesus's. but just bear, bear with us. I'm going to read from verse 5 of Matthew 6. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, Close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed 
be your name. And then if you're familiar, Jesus goes on to teach what we now would call the Lord's Prayer. Just an example, a model of prayer. Now, you might be thinking already, Andy, where's the fire? Where's the fire? Good point. Well spotted. As we start this series on fire starters, the place I believe we need to start is exploring how fire catches hold in our lives and what sustains it and what will cause it to grow. Fire starts in our lives as we build a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And fire will grow and fire will be sustained as we commit to going deeper in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so the starting point is the same for all of us. Fire starts when we say yes to a personal relationship with God. You see, when we read the passages of Scripture like we've looked at this morning, sometimes we can be in a hurry to get into the Lord's Prayer, into into sort of the, the, the text that Jesus teaches us. And sometimes we can just rush past the first two words of the Lord's Prayer as if they were some sort of heavenly handshake. Just a kind of how do you do, just like an introductory pleasantry. They're not. Verse 9. Our Father. That is the context, isn't it? That is the context. Yes, God is the creator and sustainer of the whole cosmos, but he is also the lover of our souls. He is the one that looks out for us when we've gone astray and welcomes us back into family and says, yeah, you've messed up, but you're my son, you're my daughter, you are welcome. He is the one that lavishes love and grace upon us. He is the one that welcomes us home with outrageous, fiery love. So at the heart of all of this, I want to ask a big question. How do you view God? How do you view God? You see, if you see him as someone that doesn't really like you, why would you want a relationship with him? Let me read you a little excerpt from Pete Gregg's book. This is the book, How to Pray. If you were out a couple of weeks ago when Pete Gregg visited, he, he, he told some of this. But I, I love this. He says, after more than 25 years in pastoral ministry, 20 of them teaching on prayer, I have come to the conclusion that most people's biggest problem with prayer is God. They envisage him scowling, perpetually disapproving, invariably disappointed, and needing to be placated or persuaded in prayer. If that is our view of who God is, why would you want to spend time with him? I wouldn't. And so we need a shift in the way that we think, because my belief is that God is a good, good father. He is full of love. He welcomes us home. He picks us up when we've messed up. He dusts us off. He lavishes us with love and grace. He welcomes us. Full of mercy. Full of compassion. So for me, I grew up um, always going to church in a Christian home. I came to a personal decision when I was 11 years old to give my life to Jesus Christ. And I know many of you here this morning you too have said yes to Jesus. I want to just encourage you, if you have, just to thank God in your heart right now. Just You might remember the time that that happened, or or you know that you are now. You are someone that is giving your yes to Jesus, and just be thankful that he has brought you alive. 
But if you're here this morning and you haven't yet said yes to Jesus, actually this moment now is a really good time to say that. It's a really good time to give your yes to him because he is the one that's reaching out to you. And so I would love to just pray a prayer for us now because this might be the moment where you say yes to relationship with God for yourself. You might have been brought up in a Christian home always going to church every Sunday but have never said yes to a personal relationship with Jesus. So I'm just going to pray a simple prayer and you can pray that for yourself. Jesus, thank you that you have been reaching out to me every day of my life. And Jesus, right now, I want to reach back to you. I want to put my hand into your hand. Jesus, I'm sorry for the way that I've gone my own way. Jesus, for the way that I sin, that I mess up. But Jesus, thank you that even with all of that, you still reach out to me. And so Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. Thank you that you rose again to give me new life. Lord, pour forgiveness out upon me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and set my heart on fire. In Jesus' name. Now, can I just ask, as we've got our eyes closed, most of us have got our eyes closed, if you prayed that for the first time today, just now, could you just catch my eye as I look around? Because I want you to know that you've taken a real step this morning, and that I would love to just continue conversation at the end of our, our service this morning. So if you prayed that for the first time, just catch my eye. Wonderful, thank you. Those that did, please just come and catch me rest of you, open your eyes. We're too close to lunchtime to keep your eyes shut for any length of time. Okay, so once we've said yes to Jesus, fire in our lives, that passion for Jesus is sustained as we spend time with the Lord. That's how it is sustained. If we hang around fire, we catch fire. That's how fire works. And so each day we need to be finding ways to spend time with the Lord because it is in His presence that our hearts will start burning within us. And it is by His Spirit that our hearts are set ablaze. Fire catches fire. So how does that work? Well, let's firstly take a look at some of the things that Jesus says in these verses in Matthew chapter 6. Firstly, in verse 5, He says, Don't make a big public show of it. Don't boast. Don't boast. Verse 6, he says, find a place. The language says, go into your room. In other words, find a place where you can meet with the Lord. And then in verse 6, he says, when you do that, not if, when. So find a time. Find a time when you can do that. And so we found a place, we found a time, we can go into that moment full of expectation that we will meet God in that place, in that secret place, because he is already there. Did you notice what Jesus said, that the Father who sees what is unseen? In other words, he is already there. In that time and that place where we enter into it, he is there. Now, love verse 7. Don't babble. Don't babble. Keep it simple. Keep it the cry of your heart. Not for show. You know, someone, I can't remember who it is, I think it's Matt Redmond, talks about living before an audience of one. Just you and the Lord. He's not impressed with our words. Keep it simple. See, 
in my experience, there is no right or wrong way to have this kind of devotional time. I, I've been around church now for 50 years. Um, I grew up in a sort of tradition where it was more prescriptive. It was actually called a quiet time, if you're familiar with that language. That, that's not a helpful thing, because it doesn't have to be quiet. And, and it was more kind of like, we'll do this, this, and this. The more I've been around, the more I'm helped by just each of us finding the things, the practices that work for us. And so this is something I'll commend to you. It's a book by a guy called Gary Thomas called Sacred Pathways. And he talks about seven or eight or nine different ways that people normally find that they connect with the Lord. And so you'll probably find one or two of those pathways that work particularly well for you. It's an incredibly helpful book. I just want to share a couple of thoughts and resources with us um, that I hope are helpful to you. I'm going to share some of the personal pattern of my own life. Again, please don't do what I do unless it helps you. Okay? And if it does, wonderful. I've been really helped over recent months by um, some of the patterns that Pete Gregg talks about in this book, How to Pray. And he uses this acronym, P-R-A-Y. To pause, to rejoice, to ask, and to yield. And so this is what a typical day looks like for me. I get up, and I come downstairs. I'm a fairly early riser. I'm normally up about 6 o'clock in the morning. Um, Bethan isn't. So my house is quiet at that time. And I come downstairs, and then I have a place. This is my place. It's a chair. That, that's my place. So that's where I head to. For you, it might be something like that. It might be a favorite chair. It might be the seat on a train. It might be a park bench, a place in a cafe. It's a place. And then I get my Bible, and I get comfortable. And then I pause. I pause. And what I do in my pause is that I center myself on Christ. And I become aware of my breathing, and if there's stress in my body already at 6 o'clock, I let it go, let it go. And I become aware of the presence of God. And one of the practices I've got into is to say a phrase while I'm breathing in and breathing out. And the phrase that I'm using right now, I breathe in and I say, God is good all the time. God is good all the time. And I will repeat it, and I will repeat it, and I will repeat it. And it brings me to this awareness and this centering on Christ. I pause. I then rejoice. I thank God. And so what I do at the start then, I I pick up my Bible. And I read a passage of the Bible. Right now, I'm reading through one of Tom Wright's reading books. You might have a reading plan. The Bible in One Year app is fabulous. And what I'm doing, I'm reading the Bible, which is a really good thing to do. But I'm, I'm, I'm seeing who God is and seeing what He's done for my life. And that makes me grateful. And then I'll look outside my window, and, and I don't live in lovely, lush green fields. But I can see a tree. And I can see the sky. And I can see sort of the air. I I know the air is having an effect on me. And and one day last week, I just thank God that I've got legs and arms and eyes and ears and a mouth. 
and I thank God for my intellect that I can think. And I thank God that He has brought me alive in Christ and that He has given purpose for my life. It shouldn't be hard for us to find things to thank God for. And this, this, is, this is a catalyst. This book is a catalyst. So I thank God. And then I ask. I, I pray for the day ahead. I petition. That's the things that I need. I pray for my daily bread. So I think of the things that are coming up for my day ahead. Things that are on my mind or my heart. Things that I'm asking Jesus for. And then I will intercede. I'll pray for my family. I'll pray for our church. There may be things going on in our world that I will pray for. This is all in about 15 minutes. And then I yield. So at the end of my prayer time, I basically say, Lord, I hope I've prayed the right things, but at the end of the day, let your will be done, not mine. So I'm saying yes. I'm simply saying, Jesus, whatever you want to do with me today, I give my yes to you in advance. That's what I'm doing at the end of my prayer. Okay? So that, that's what I've done. And, and then, I, then I get my breakfast and put the news on. I'm not a very holy person. But that's a pattern that I'm using in my life. You know, to the heart of that is the Bible. I was in a gathering, um, a church gathering, um, just a few months ago with a, with a group of people, and we got talking about um, how people have a practice of spending time with the Lord each day. And, and as people were sharing and people were being very honest, um, what transpired was out of the nine people in the room, only two people would pick up the Bible from Sunday to Sunday. And I was one of them. Now, that's, I don't know whether that's shocking or not. If, if there have been a bunch of surveys done, you can go and read those surveys. In the, in the UK, of Bible-believing Christians, 50% engage with the Bible regularly during their week. And 50% admit to not touching the Bible other than on Sundays. Which 50% are you in? What I want to say is no one can do this for you. It's a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. No one can pray for you in the sense of develop a prayer life for you. No one can read the Bible for you. Your spouse can't do it. I can't do it. Your home group leader can't do it. We need to find ways where we feed ourselves. Because that is where fire starts and that is where fire is sustained from. Prayer and the Bible. Now, let me just point you towards a couple of resources this morning. We're part of Vineyard Churches. They've recently produced a couple of resources in this area of developing a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The first is this booklet, which is helpfully entitled, How to Spend Time with Jesus. And it has a bunch of things in here which are just helpful ideas of how you can do that. There's a bunch of them on a table at the back. They are just one pound each. There is an honesty box there. So you're in church, be honest. Okay? If you don't have a pound with you today, but you have some paper with you, put that in there. By which I mean banknote paper, not just random bits of paper. Uh, just, just so that we're clear. <laughs> and then you can, you, can, you can effectively buy that for a bunch of other people. But if that's helpful to you, which I think it will be, grab a copy of that. And the second thing is this, that there are a bunch of really helpful things from the Ignatian tradition of spirituality. And we've spoken about that fairly often in this church. Um, uh, the emotionally healthy spirituality comes from that tradition. And one of their exercises is called the daily examine. And basically it's a way to help us to process 
how we've been emotionally responding to the things that have happened each day, but to do so in the presence of Jesus. And so as a staff team, we do this pretty much most weeks, don't we? On a Tuesday morning, as part of our staff prayer time, we will go through a daily examine. Now, again, Vineyard Church has been really helpful. They put it on the postcard here. These are free. Grab one if that's helpful to you. It can be helpful at the beginning of the day to process the day before. It can be helpful at the end of the day as, as a prayer tool so that you bring the day that you've just had into the presence of Jesus. So they also are on the table at the back. Let me just read a little story from, from Pete Gregg's book, which just caught my eye when I, when I read it. He talks about an advertising executive who became a Christian but said that he was too busy to carve out a daily time of prayer. It's easy for you, he told his new pastor. You have all the time in the world, because pastors are so unbusy. But I can't fit anything else into my life. Do you feel like that? No one. That's great. That means you've all got time on your hands. But maybe you are one of the few people here that finds your life very full. I'm I'm, I'm maybe talking to one person here. You find your life just run ragged by, by kids, by job, by other responsibilities. I talk to people that have retired, and they tell me that they're busier now, than they're, they're, now that they're retired than when they had a regular job. Life is very, very full. Pastor pushed back on this guy with a gentle challenge. You know, he said, I've always managed to make time for the things I really value. The new believer went away and bought himself a really nice rocking chair. I'm not giving you permission to go and buy new furniture without talking to, you know, if you're married. Went and bought a really nice rocking chair, set it down in front of a window in his house, and began began to get up just 20 minutes earlier each day to sit in it, read the Bible, and pray. As he maintained this simple daily rhythm, his wife and colleagues began to notice that he was becoming less scattered, more peaceful, and kind. That rocking chair was becoming his thin place, the place where he met with the Lord. So the question is, is where is your chair? Where is your chair? I want to encourage you, as we go into this year, would you commit to going deeper? Commit to building a life that prays simply because Jesus is your friend. Simply because of that, that he wants to talk. You need to talk, he needs to talk, that you would go deeper in that. And if you don't know where to start, the Lord's Prayer is a great place to start. There are some other great recorded prayers in the Bible. You can buy books of prayer where if you're kind of thinking, I don't know what to say, somebody else with more creativity and more poetry can really help us to put some language to our prayers. And keep on engaging with the Bible. Would you make that a daily habit this year? To engage with the Bible each day. And can I encourage you to do that whether or not you feel it's making a difference? You know, you might kind of think, well, Andy, I can't remember what I read last week, let alone last year. Is it having any difference in my life? What I would say to you is, can you remember what you ate last year? The answer is no. But most of you look pretty well nourished. It's having an effect. This will have an effect. Just simply engage with it just because it will feed your life. You see, 
the thing is this, if we keep going, if we keep finding that time and the place, what we will find is grace waiting for us. That is the way that it works. We will find ourselves in the presence of the one who brings our hearts on fire. And we will find ourselves, that fire being sustained and growing in our lives as we keep going. Third thing I want to share this morning is don't let the fire go out. Don't let the fire go out. One of the things that can pour water on the fire is disappointment. You notice that? If things don't turn out the way that you hoped they would turn out, maybe a relationship broke, maybe kids have taken a turn, maybe health, all sorts of things, disappointment can grab us and can throw water on this passion, this fire in our hearts. Distraction can do the same. We can just find ourselves just off in another place and kind of think, well, how did I get here? Demonic attack. Deception. There are false fires. You know, bottom line, we have an enemy. There is personal, real evil in this world. The devil, Satan, demonic forces. And one of the things that the enemy does not want you to do is to be on fire. He will do everything he can to put out the passion in your heart. Everything that he can. He will distract you, deceive you, throw stuff at you, because he does not want you to be on fire. He wants to extinguish that passion in our hearts. And so we need to guard that passion and we need to feed that passion and we need to sustain it. And a great way to keep fire burning in our lives is to hang around other people who are on fire. Because fire breeds fire. That's the way that fire works. Fire breeds fire. Now I know this because one of my favorite bits of garden furniture is my fire pit. In fact, it is by far my favorite bit of garden furniture. Every garden, in my view, should have a fire pit. We'll discuss that later. Fire pit. You know that if you put a stick into a fire, it will catch light. And if you take it out, it glows for a bit, and then it fizzles out. That's what happens when we get disconnected from God's people. But if you put that stick back into the fire, it catches light again and actually can do so quite quickly. And so what that simple illustration tells us is that we need to hang around with others who are on fire to keep fire going in our own lives because fire breeds fire. Now, in our church here, there are a couple of main ways that that happens and both are important. It's not one or the other, both are important. Being part of a weekend service and being part of a small group. Being connected, being around fire. So you're all here today. God bless you. If you find yourself part of this church but not in one of our small groups, why don't you at the end of the service take your way over to our lovely new small groups board and the team there would love to help you connect. Because it's important. If you want fire to keep going in your life, hang around fire. Back to my fire pit. Once a stick has caught fire, it can start other fires. We know that, don't we? That's how fire starts. Once something has caught fire, it can start another fire. And that's the journey that we're going to be going on over these next few weeks. The way in which fire started in our lives can start fire in other lives. Bringing healing bringing freedom, bringing new life to other people. 
And one of the things, if you've been around fire, you know that fire doesn't actually have to work that hard to set other things on fire. It just happens, doesn't it? But fire catches. It's part of the beauty of it. And so being a fire starter, for me, is a natural consequence of fire having been lit in our own lives. Because fire breeds fire. But it starts in the presence of God. It's as we catch fire. We can't generate fire. We can't generate this kind of passion. Don't just try and work it up. That's hard work. That is really hard work. Most of us have tried that. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, you've tried to fire up passion in your own life. And I can see the nods. I've been there. It's really hard work. Did it work for you? Didn't work for me. What works is hanging around the fire of God. Because it's Him that sets our hearts ablaze. And it's in the presence of Jesus that our hearts burn within us. So find yourself in that place, and then you can become a spiritually very dangerous person. Because you can now start fires. So I'm going to close with this. There was a Danish theologian and philosopher called Kierkegaard. He said this, Christianity is incendiary. It's dangerous. It's fire starting. It's supposed to be explosive. That's what it is supposed to be like. The intended state of a Christian is to be on fire. So what's the temperature of your heart? And what are you going to bring to Jesus today? Because my prayer is that he would set us more on fire. You're born to burn. You're born to burn. 